Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John be in chapter 2 today, looking at verses 18 through 29 together this morning. And we are traveling through this book uh, of 1 John and looking at this idea of a sure faith. And so if I were to tell you this morning that I would give you a million dollars tomorrow, and you asked me a question, you asked me, well, how can I know that? I might look back at you and I might say something like, well, don't worry about it, it's a sure thing. If I said it's a sure thing, what am I claiming to you in that moment? I'm claiming you can count on it, right? You can count on me to come through. Now, if I did say I would give you a million dollars, you'd be right to question me, okay? That's probably not something that I would be able to deliver on, but the idea remains the same. I'm saying it's a sure thing. You can count on it. And when we look at this idea of a sure faith in the book of 1 John, what we're looking at is a faith that we can count on, a faith that we can rely on, that is trustworthy, that is true. I want to ask you a philosophical question this morning to get us started, a question that that maybe you've never thought of before, maybe you have, but the question is this, what is truth? If someone were to come to you and ask you for your personal definition of truth, what would you say to them? How would you reply? You see, today the concept of truth is up for grabs in many circles in our nation. In fact, many people are not even sure that truth actually exists. I teach an ethics class at State Fair Community College, and one of the questions that I like to ask is the students. I like to ask them, can you give me your definition of truth? And many, many students in the room are very quick to say, I don't think truth exists. I think it varies from person to person, from culture to culture, from place to place. And you ever heard the phrase, what's true for you may not be true for me? What's right for you may not be right for me. This idea of live and let live. Yeah, this idea is prevalent in our society. Uh, perhaps the only truths that are seen as credible today are this, the ideas of mathematical truths or scientific truths. But here's what I want us to see this morning. I believe that, that you and I, those of us that know Jesus Christ, we need a God-given shrewdness, a God-given clarity about this idea of truth. You see, truth is unchanging. True truth endures. True truth remains. And so this morning, we're going to look at a sure faith, that a sure faith is based on truth, and it will endure, it will discern truth, and it will remain in the Spirit. Go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29 is what we'll be reading together this morning. The word of the Lord says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, 
But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you for this day. God, thank you for the privilege of gathering in this place. God, of singing praises to your name. And Lord, of hearing your word preached. Father, we ask now that you would speak. God, that our hearts would be still before you, that our minds would be focused on what it is that you would have to say to us. And Father, that we would receive it with glad and obedient hearts this morning. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you, so that this thing that we do called church would be possible. God, we pray now that you would be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, a sure faith will endure, a sure faith will discern, and a sure faith will remain. John is dealing with something in this passage that is not all that foreign to us, although he uses words like the Antichrist and he uses um, some, some kind of words that we might consider inflammatory today. What John's talking about is actually not foreign to us at all. The story goes something like this. There's someone who um, comes into a church and they respond to the message of the gospel. They respond and they begin to be excited about following Jesus. And they exhibit passion and they exhibit commitment and they exhibit a lot of the things that look like someone who knows Jesus Christ. Maybe it's as a child, maybe it's as an adult. But somewhere along the way, a week goes by, two months go by, years go by, and there's a change of heart. It doesn't seem that the person is any longer trying to follow Jesus. It seems that now suddenly they're living for themselves or they found another truth or they're living a different way. And the question haunts us, what happened? What happened? This is personal for me. I have members of my own family that I ask this question about. And we encounter this, and this is what's happening in John. John is writing in the book of 1 John. He's saying, look, there are these people who were with us. There were these people who were members of what we were doing, but he says this, they were not of us. And so he gives us some clarity this morning about how to approach this situation. And it is to understand this. We are to be loving to these people. We are to show God's goodness and grace to these people each and every day. But we are to also speak the truth in love, and we're to say... What you're doing right now, we're not going to judge. We are not the judge and jury. We're not going to stand over someone. But we will say this. What you are doing right now is the behavior of someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. What's happening right now in your life is, is exemplary of someone who would not know and follow Jesus. And that's meant to be a warning in love. And so here's what he is saying. Look at verses 18 and 19 again with me. I just want to read this one more time. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Strong words. And what is happening here is not just people who have decided to walk away from Jesus, but people who have actually started to deny that Jesus is the Christ. These people have actually gone a step further and committed heresy. They've said, whoever this Jesus was, we've twisted it. Maybe he was just a man. Maybe he was just a prophet. But he was not God in the flesh. He was not one with the Father. 
And so John says that is the spirit that is opposed anti to Christ. That is the spirit that is opposed to Christ. John was dealing with heresy. And lest we think that modern Christians are are not susceptible to heresy anymore, I just want to share with you an article from a 2014 uh, edition of Christianity Today. And here's the title. Evangelicals, that's us, we are an evangelical church, we are a Baptist church, evangelicals' favorite heresies. It says this, several heresies exist amongst evangelicals today in America, but the most popular one is also an ancient one. 22% of evangelicals claimed that God the Father is somehow more divine than Jesus, and another 9% were not sure. This heresy is as old as the Nicene Creed. It goes back to the earliest times of life in the church. Is the heresy of Arianism. Arianism teaches that Jesus somehow came into being after the Father. That Jesus was not one with the Father, but he came into being sometime after the Father. This is not true. This is a lie. This degrades the level, the position of the Messiah, of the Christ. And it is something that even people today in America who identify themselves as evangelicals, people of the book, Bible-believing Christians, still struggle with. And we need to be clear. You see, a sure faith is based on the truth. A sure faith will endure and discern and remain because it knows true truth. It knows what is true. Which brings me to... This idea this morning, I want to share with you three big truths this morning. Three big truths that will help us look at a sure foundation for our faith. Truth number one, based off of verses 18 and 19, a sure faith will not go out. A sure faith will not go out. John says that these people went out from them because they were not of them. And and ultimately, he's saying they left our congregation But even more so, he's saying these people didn't actually know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. They didn't encounter him in saving and redeeming faith. He goes on to say that that they were not of us, meaning that they did not have the same nature. They didn't have the same gift that they had received in John's church. And the illustration is this. You see, the light of the sun cannot be extinguished. The light of the sun cannot be extinguished by human hands. It's bigger than us. It's too powerful for us. And the light of the gospel cannot be extinguished in a person who knows Jesus Christ, who has experienced him as Savior and Lord. Why? Because it's bigger than us. It's more powerful than us. What is happening is the Holy Spirit is coming to dwell in our hearts and lives. And so true believers who have encountered God himself in the forgiveness of their sin and have a living and active relationship with him cannot turn back somehow into unbelievers. I like how John MacArthur put it. John MacArthur, famous preacher, said it this way. He said, if I could lose my salvation, I would lose my salvation because I'm that sinful, because I'm that broken. The effects of sin are real, and we struggle with it our entire lives, even after we're saved. There will be a day where we will not struggle with sin anymore. There will be a day where we are set free completely and totally from the powers of the flesh. But that day is not while we are being sanctified. That day is when we are glorified in the presence of Jesus Christ for all eternity. That day is coming. Thank the Lord. Amen. But... John does something wonderful in verse 19. He, he assures us through these verses that you cannot lose your salvation. It is not dependent on you. And friends, that is good news. Where did John get this idea? Where did John come up with this idea that a sure faith will not go out? How, did, how is he so confident and able to say that? 
It's because he walked with Jesus. It's because he heard Jesus teach, and he heard Jesus in John chapter 6. If you would, just turn there for just a moment with me this morning. John chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 37 through 39 for just a moment. There are many places, actually, even in the Gospel of John that we could turn to to help us with this idea, but I think this is one of the clearest statements from the mouth of Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 37. It says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. That's good news. It's wonderful news that as much as I sin, as far as I fall short of the glory of God, after I'm saved in Jesus Christ, he doesn't give up on me. And so we can know, we can know and have a sure and confident faith based off of this truth. A sure faith will never go out. It will never be extinguished. It will never fall away. But the second truth I want us to see is, is this idea, truth number two, a sure faith knows that not all truth claims are equal. A sure faith knows that not all truth claims are equal. Let's look at verses 20 through 25 together this morning. Verses 20 through 25. It says this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Knowledge which is based on the truth. Verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. And so John is saying something here that's very important. You see that word true and truth and knowledge are all very closely associated. He's talking about a really important idea. And what he's saying is this, real truth is at stake. Real truth is at stake when we're talking about who Jesus is. He either really was God and he really did walk around in the flesh or he didn't. Those are the two options. And there's no halfway, there's no between. There's no between space. What is true then? What is the truth? John is saying something like this. He says, you see, I think we need to recognize that just because I feel something or think something about God does not mean it's true. He points back and he uses this phrase, the beginning. What you have had from the beginning. What is he referring to? What is he talking about? He's talking about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's saying, here's how we're going to know the truth. Don't take my word for it. Don't take some other guy's word for it. Look at Jesus. Look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Look at what he said about himself. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, I'm God, pretty plainly. He said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again on the third day, and I'm going to defeat sin and death because you're sinners, and you need to be forgiven. He said these things, and so we have a choice. We either take Jesus at his word, or we don't. And so here's what we need to be careful of, friends. We live in a society today that doesn't like to tell someone that they're wrong. We live in a society, if we tell someone they're wrong, it is often construed as hate. It's often construed as as anger and closed-mindedness. 
And what we need to be able to recognize is that telling someone they're wrong is not mean or ugly. It's actually loving. You see, to, to tell my child who wants to go and play in the street that that's not dangerous, but to withhold that truth from her, Audrey, you go ahead. I know there's cars speeding by every day about 30 miles an hour around, around the turn where we live, but you go ahead and you play in the street. You see, that's not loving. What love says is, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to tell you this is wrong. This is unwise. This is dangerous. You need to come back. You need to get out of that. And, though, and so this is what happens. You see, unfortunately, I think people get caught up in the idea that since God is not visible to our human eyes, that all opinions and feelings about him are equal. But this isn't true. You see, we need to be cautious. We need to be careful, I think, of sitting in a circle and studying the Bible together and hearing something like this. Well, I think that verse means X. But it's okay for you to think that verse means Y. It's okay for you to think it means something completely different. That verse means this to me, and that verse can mean something over here completely different to you. No, wrong. This is not a good way to study the Bible. We have been given truth from God, written by men over millennia. And when these men wrote God's word, they had real ideas, real intentions that they meant to portray, that they meant to communicate. And we are called to be faithful to determine what it is that they were trying to say. So we use grammar, we use historical context, and we use the context of Scripture itself to help us understand the message that has been given to us and passed down from generation to generation. This has not changed. This has remained true. And this is what we are given. And so if if we're going to determine the truth, I think we need a clear definition of truth, and I want to give you one this morning. This is, again, a little philosophical, but stay with me. I'll say this. Truth is that which is simultaneously, at the same time, both correspondent with reality and coherent. Truth is that which is correspondent with reality and coherent. Here's what that is. That is this. That is God's Word. God's Word is correspondent with reality. It fits with what we see in the world around us. And... It is a coherent system to help us understand life and how to live in a godly way that we are called to live. To say truth is correspondent with reality means, again, just that truth must fit. Truth has to fit with reality. Gravity will always hold us to planet Earth. People don't morph into fish. There's never going to be a day where you're sitting here and your neighbor beside you is going to turn into a catfish. It's not going to happen. Why? Because that's not reality. You see, truth corresponds with reality. Here's a biblical truth that corresponds with reality. Our world is broken. Our world is sinful. Evil is real. Our hearts know pain and suffering and sorrow because we experience it in reality. These things are observable. The reality of our brokenness is what the Bible teaches us. It calls sin, sin. It calls pain, Pain And it shares with us that these things are realities. But here's the good news. We have a Savior. It's not going to stay this way. We're not stuck here. There's one who has come for us to redeem us. This is what it means to say that truth is correspondent with reality. And this is what we have been given in God's Word. It corresponds. It fits. Secondly, truth is coherent. Truth must fit together. There's no such thing as a square circle, right? You're never going to see that. It's not even possible in mathematics. Why? 
because at the end of the day, it's nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. Here's a biblical truth that is coherent. Once you're imperfect, you can't go back to perfect. You see, to to be perfect, you actually have to stay perfect. And in the same way, once you've sinned, you can't get back to holy. We needed a holy Savior to stand in the gap for us. There's no way that any of us would ever be good enough to get back to God's holy, perfect standard. God sent his son to do exactly what you and I could never do. This is coherent. It fits. And so what I want us to see this morning is we have a consistent and coherent word from God that has been proven over the centuries, over the millennia, to be inerrant, without error, to be sufficient, which means it's enough for us, and also to be reliable, that time and time and time again, it has stood the test. It has stood the test of time as people have opposed God's word. And so anything that contradicts God's promises, that contradicts his word, we must be careful of, especially about four things, especially about the gospel, especially about the nature of God, the nature of humanity, and the nature of eternity. If we encounter something that does not match God's word in those areas, we need to watch out. We need to be careful. And so here's what that means. This may make some of us uncomfortable, but this is truth. This means this, that our our Mormon friends are not Christians, although they claim it. It means that, that Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. It also means that Hindus, who would say that you can be a good Hindu by worshiping Jesus Christ, are not Christians. We love these people. We're not going to be ugly to them. But we have to recognize that they are not of us. And we need to love people enough to say that lovingly. We need to love people enough to say that lovingly. Here's some popular objections to this. Here's some popular objections. Objection number one, isn't that mean? Isn't that offensive? Isn't that hateful? How can you stand up there and say that? I would say that a spiritual fact is no more mean or offensive than any other fact. A mathematical fact is 2 plus 2 equals 4. A medical fact is that inhaling water is dangerous for the human body. If you do it enough, it will kill you. A moral fact is that murdering children is always wrong. Right? Okay, thank you. A spiritual fact, a spiritual fact is that to deny Jesus is the Christ is inherently unchristian. It's just that simple. And so as a Christ follower, I won't entertain the idea that the gospel can shift or change or move or look different, not because I'm closed-minded, but because I know Christian doctrine. I know what has been passed down to faithful men throughout the centuries and that I, too, am called to be faithful. You see, I'm not going to worship with someone who doesn't claim Jesus Christ, not because I want to be mean to them, but because that's simply not Christian worship. We have to worship the one true God if we're going to worship in a Christian way. Here's another objection that's also popular. Okay, fine. Maybe you're not mean or hateful, but you are very closed-minded. Maybe you're not angry about it, but you're still pretty backwards. And I would say, no, that's also untrue, and here's why. You see, this is what it means to be Christian. Leopards have spots. Tigers have stripes. Fish swim in water, and Christians follow Jesus as Lord. It's just that simple. And so 
We are not closed-minded. We are consistent. Someone who is unwilling to follow the teachings of Buddha cannot be a Buddhist. To use John's words, it's what we have had and known since the beginning, since Jesus himself walked on this earth. This is what he has taught us. And we must choose, will we be faithful and hold to the truth, or will we not? He has told us these things. I had once had someone ask me this question. He said, okay, well, what about someone who worships Jesus and, and has deep emotions for Jesus alongside other idols? What about someone who, who wants to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus, but they just worship him as one God among several others? What would you say? Can they get into heaven? The answer is no. Not because, again, we want to be mean or hateful, but because of this. If Jesus is just one God among many to you, then I would say you haven't understood who Jesus really is. He is the Holy God of all creation. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that day, there will be no other idols alongside him. And so we must recognize and discern the truth. We do it with love We do it with gentleness, we do it with kindness, but we must discern the truth and and say to a watching world that not all truth claims are equal. Lastly, I want us to see this. Well, actually, I want to do this. I want to bring this to bear on us even a little further today before I move to truth number three. Specifically, I want us to apply this discussion on truth uh, to the political climate surrounding our country today. If you're watching the news, there's something going on with the Supreme Courts, right? And a lot of people are angry about it. A lot of people are upset on both sides, okay? I think one of the things that I want us to do is to focus on a very important truth that I've already mentioned. I think it can help us, it can calm us, it can reassure us. And that is this. Aside from politics, we have to remember Jesus is still reigning. Jesus is in control. And so here's the deal. He's not coming in on Air Force One. Jesus is not coming into a courtroom wearing a black robe. Jesus is the one who sets us free from sin and death. And here's the the most wonderful thing that I think we can remember. You see, if America dissolves as a nation tomorrow, the gospel of Jesus Christ would still be the power of God to save anyone who believes in him. You see, across races, nations, and time, it is Jesus that saves He saves orphans in Africa. He saves communists in China. He saves atheists in Missouri. He saves Catholics in Mexico. He saves Muslims in Syria. And he saves politicians in Washington, D.C. Thank God, right? Amen. And so here's what that is, friends. That's a bigger hope. That's a bigger truth. That's an enduring truth that we can turn to and say, whatever happens in Washington over the next week, it's going to be okay. Because my God is true, and my God reigns, and he is good. And thank God his love endures forever. And so these are where we can recognize, as John says, eternal life is found. Truth number three. Truth number three. A sure faith will follow the Holy Spirit in agreement with God's word. A sure faith will follow the Holy Spirit in agreement with God's word. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 through 29 together. It says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, 
and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You see, a sure faith will follow the Holy Spirit in agreement with God's word. That's an important distinction because we live in a culture and in a place where sometimes a very large emphasis is put on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy for us to get distracted by secondary things. It's easy for us to remember or forget that we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And here's the main thing, Jesus. Jesus Christ is the main thing. And so the Holy Spirit comes alongside and supports and lifts up the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit uses his word to guide us and teach us and show us the truth of who he is. We need to understand our anointing. There's this word that, that John uses in this passage, and he says, there's an anointing that you have been given by the Holy One. What is he talking about? What is in reference here? The anointing is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What is the anointing of the Holy Spirit? I would submit to you this morning that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is what happens at the very moment that a person is brought to life through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel, when the a Holy Spirit comes and dwells in that person's life. That would mean this. There is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? In all the Bible, there is no reference whatsoever of a second baptism of the Holy Spirit in terms of granting specific gifts. In terms of granting specific gifts. Someone may say, well, what about Acts? What about in the book of Acts? It states that the disciples were filled with the Spirit. And I would say that's exactly right. It says the disciples were filled with the Spirit. What does that phrase mean? I believe that we can understand it this way. It talks about that the Holy Spirit fell on some believers or filled them. I think in either case, being filled with the Spirit incurs this idea. It is an idea of extra zeal and fervor and favor from God to demonstrate His power for the sake of His glory. Okay? It is an extra fervor or zeal or favor from God to demonstrate his power for the sake of his glory. In Exodus 31, there was a man named Bezalel, and Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? He didn't start speaking in tongues. Guess what he did? He built the tabernacle of God in an incredible way. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in order to build the tabernacle of God in magnificence, you see, the prophet Micah was filled with the Holy Spirit, too, in the Old Testament, Micah 3.8. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit to do what? To confront Israel and to call out their sin. It was a scary thing. One man standing against a nation and saying, you better turn. You better turn back. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was given power from God, favor from God to do so. Peter was filled with the Spirit before preaching in Acts. And then what happened? He turned and he stood and he preached one of the greatest sermons of all time. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. God's Word actually provides very clear boundaries for us in how the spiritual gifts should be used. And so we need to remember this. If we see the spiritual gifts of God being used in any way other than the boundaries that God has set for us, then we can say on some level, in some way, what is happening is not of God. On some way, in some level, what is happening isn't fitting with God's Word. 
You see, what, what must happen is this. As believers... We should spend time and know and be filled with the truth of God's Word. And as we do that, friends, listen to this. This is the wonderful thing. It will actually empower us to live by the Spirit. As we know God's Word, it sets boundaries for our lives. It changes our hearts. It it reshapes our minds so that what I used to desire, what I used to want, is no longer the things of the flesh. I have laid those things down, and now more and more and more, I'm being remade, I'm being reshaped to desire the things of God first. And as I do that, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm walking in the power and, and truth of God. This is what it looks like. You see, we need to spend time in God's Word, and we need to ask God to help us see truth in it. It is, it is far too easy to open your Bible each day and to have a, a reading plan, which is a wonderful thing, by the way. If you don't have one, get one. But to open a reading plan and to see three boxes, box one in the Old Testament, box two in the Psalms, Proverbs, and other writings, box three in the New Testament, and to remember or think something like this, I need to check those boxes, and so I'm going to read. This is not reading God's Word in a way that would be submitting ourselves to Him so that He can speak to us. This is just reading a book. But there is another way to be still and to pray and to ask the God of the universe, Lord, I recognize this morning that I am opening something that is beyond me. I'm opening something that is good and true and right and has been good and true and right for all eternity. And so as I open this this book this morning, Father, I pray that you would speak. God, I pray that you would show me how to not just hear your words and read your words, but to actually do it. And so, Lord, be with me now as I read, as I study. This is what it looks like to submit ourselves to the Word of God, to abide in Him. And I just want to say this. What's the point then? What's the point of of all of this? I would ask you to look at verse 28. Verse 28. It says this, And now, little children, abide in Him. Here's why. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. What's the point of all of this? Why do we need to be reminded of the fact that we cannot lose our salvation? Why do we need to be reminded of the truth that not all truth claims are equal? Why do we need to be reminded that we need to follow the Holy Spirit in agreement with God's word? The reason is this. It is because someday... Ready or not, Jesus Christ will return. And when he returns, I don't know about you, friends, but I want to be ready. When he returns, I want to be found faithful. I don't want to be distracted with secondary things. I don't want to be following something that's not true. I want to be committed, and I want to be able to say, Jesus, there you are, my friend, my Savior, my King, my Lord. I don't want to have to shrink back in shame and be caught in something that is not worth my t- his time or my time, that is not deserving of his glory. And so the deciding factor of our lives, friends, will not be, did you earn enough degrees? Those things are good. Pursue that. But not at the expense of Jesus Christ in your life. Did you attend church enough? That's not going to be the benchmark that we're measured by? Did you ever speak in tongues? That's not going to be what you and I will be measured by. It won't even be, did you love your families well? As important as that is, as good as that is, 
What will be the deciding factor of our lives then? What will allow us to walk confidently into heaven before Jesus Christ? It's this. Did you know and trust Jesus as your dearest friend and the king of your life? Did you do that? Did you spend your life knowing and loving and living for God himself? Did you trust him when life was hard and it didn't make sense? Did you let him work in your heart and in your life to heal the bitterness that, it, that had grown there because you were wounded at some point? Did you submit yourself to him day in and day out in fighting sin and, and recognizing, I don't want to live that way anymore? Did you follow him until the very end? This is how we will be measured. You see, societal truths will come and go. But the real truth, true truth, endures forever. Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to ask you this morning, do you know the truth? Let's pray together. If you would go ahead and bow your heads. Father, we come before you now and Lord, we recognize that, that what's been shared here this morning is serious. God, that what's been discussed this morning, this idea of truth, can be weighty, it can be heavy. But Lord, we also recognize that it's necessary. That you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. And so God, we pray in this moment that our hearts would be open to that. What is it that you 